You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. 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 I think that the only way that we're going to realize freedom, justice, equality, decent living for people is if there's a complete change, a complete change, everything has, has got to be turned around and that, that's a revolution, it's a revolution. Double dose of that Caxton Press. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that sister you heard before you heard Caxton Press, that sister was none other than Asada Shakur. Y'all look her up. She talking about revolution. She led that life. The ancestors be with you, sister, in Cuba. That's right. Speaking of Cuba and Latin America, uh, we have a great show for you in store today. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, I am your host on Conscientization 101's podcast, James Stone, in here with my co-editor. Zari Sundiata. Yes, and we are going to be reporting today about our sojourn, our grassroots sojourn into Venezuela in 2013. In June 2013, we had the opportunity of a lifetime to go to Venezuela and stay for 10 days. It was a very, 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 um, say the least, Venezuela at the time we went was kind of like in a, a, a watershed event moment, right? Because President Chavez had just passed away and uh, the country was dealing with that and you, we, we, we was wondering what it would be like after President Chavez uh, passed away so some of you might be saying to yourself well why the hell would you African Americans see I don't like that you call me an African American you calling me the slave and the slave master I'm an African in America but I don't I ain't got time going to that well actually I do but you might be saying to yourself, why are these Africans, why are they sojourning into Venezuela? Isn't Chavez a dictator? So, sorry, why don't you tell the people why it is actually, you know what I'm saying, we wanted to check out Venezuela? Well, yeah, we can talk about that because the main, I mean, not the main reason, but we, we wanted to go to Venezuela because of all the lies and the, the authorities dubbed as they always like to tell you not to go to Venezuela. And as Africans, we need to see things for ourselves because we can't believe those lies. And we had the opportunity and we said that this is a good place to go right now to actually see with our own eyes how, and I'll, you know, be there, 
how things have changed and what the real deal was in Venezuela. So, you know, we also wanted to see, because the so-called American left says that Venezuela is so revolutionary, you know, but the reality is always different for Africans and indigenous people. So we wanted to see that. Um, and, you know, we just had done a lot of research. We read a lot of books, um, yeah, some yeah. of which we can name now. Yeah, we'll go ahead and name some of the books now. Uh, we didn't just like, you know, like spin a map on the globe, on a globe, take a globe and spin it. And right, go, it wasn't just random. Just spin it and say, <laughs> oh, we want to go here because, you know, some of the, you know, we had read Eduardo Galeano's Open Veins of Latin America. We read um, Venezuela, Af- Speaks. Venezuela Speaks, Voices from the Grassroots or by PM Press. We also read Afro Latin America, 1800 to 2000 by George Reed Andrews. And uh, also read Changing Venezuela by Taking Power by uh, Gregory Wilper. All these books are linked in our library. So if you want to check them out, get them, go to our library, just do a search and you can find the books. Now, I want to reiterate something that Zari, pick up on the something Zari said about why we did go to Venezuela. I want to say something about African people in the Americas. Right, and African people in particular in the empire, as you find us in the empire, I would say, um, without a doubt, we are the most underdeveloped people in the United States in terms of that the empire does a great job in propagandizing us and telling us where not to go and who our enemies are. They have, a, and let me, and I'm gonna let out another secret the, the vast majority of African people in the United States that you call black Americans, right. They don't even get to travel outside their hood usually. Mm-hmm. So the world becomes their hood and what they see on TV, right? So, and this goes also for so them bougie Negroes. Them bougie Negroes with the good jobs. They they think they know everything. They miss, they're like Miss Go, Mr. and Mrs. Go USA, right? But they don't know shit about how USA was founded, right? So we want to go to Venezuela, right? First thing people would tell us, you know what I'm saying? Well, first of all, the first this response is different from depending on who you talk to. The first thing we heard from African people, see, that's the thing. African people will say they black Americans and stuff like that, or Americans if they really mixed up and shit, uh, amongst their white friends, right? But then when, when the white folks leave, this is how it go down. You know, they start talking at you. They start talking that truth. They, they, they leave all that pretense of we all American. They start talking about, don't do that. Them white folks ain't gonna let you do that. Them white folks didn't let Obama do that. That's why he said he had to shoot a nigga. Them, them, them white folks ain't gonna let you do that. Then they become like scary nationalist Negroes or something. And the first thing they said to us, why you wanna go down there? There ain't no black people down there. And I'm like, wow, there's no, first of all, where is Venezuela? Venezuela is in the Caribbean. Don't you understand? If you understood the history of your people didn't start in Mississippi on a plantation, you would understand they dropped this, the, the Americas that we are referred to as a Latin America was the America they discovered. That was what Columbus quote unquote, quote unquote, discovered. So since he quote unquote discovered that, that's where we first got dropped off. And we got dropped off in the Caribbean, in these coastal regions. That's why in Brazil, you know, in the northeastern Brazil, like where the coast is right there, up in uh, Venezuela, that's where a lot of it. So it's a big as African population in Venezuela, right? Again, that propaganda that blackness is only in the United States of America. This is what they taught us, that black people are in Haiti. We don't know how they got there. And black people in Jamaica, Jamaica? and Africa. And we don't know how they got to Jamaica. Either. We don't know how they got to Jamaica, Africa. Either. Actually, we're indigenous to Jamaica. We're, yeah, they'll tell you <laughs> Negro. They'll tell you black people are from Jamaica and black people are from Haiti. There's no history of slavery except in the United States. So I want to tell y'all when y'all deal with Africans that come from the United States, if they are not conscious of themselves as African people and see themselves as African American, I'm gonna tell some of our conscious Africans throughout the world. Be patient with some of them Negroes until they piss you off and then go upside their head. Because you got to understand something. We've been brainwashed, right? Yes, yeah, very much so. So, and then after that, we, you know, white people be like, yeah, white people always want to know your business, right? So, where are you going? So, where are you going? You know, so you take off work. Where are you going? I'm going to Venezuela. This is funny. Anyway, this is what white people say. Don't you know they kill Americans? They don't like Americans down there. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. <laughs> You know, they don't like Americans down there. And I was like, oh my God, I'm an American now? The, the, the every, you know, you, 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 all the Africans get shot in the back by the police, the Trayvon Martins and everybody, I'm, I'm tired of everybody acting like Trayvon Martin is something new, 
right? The people say, oh man, they're doing this like Trayvon Martin. Correction, if you know the history of your people in, in, Amer- in the Americas and in the world, you say, oh, they <laughs> Trayvon Martin, look, that seems like it's par for the course. Okay? So, um, I want to I want I want to reiterate that, and so we wanted to, we wanted to we wanted that's some of the things we want to say. It's now switching up and kind of you know making it you know so I won't go off on tangents and stuff. We did our research, we did a lot of research, named the books. Okay, what a, I'm dang sorry I'm 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 you see this is what happened with Zari. What Venezuela speaks. Venezuela. Okay, wait wait wait. This is what I wanted to say before we get into that. All right, because I'm you know I'm in the studio. I'll be going off. All right. I want to tell y'all about so we so pretty much the responses of when we went to Venezuela was two different things, two different responses, right? But we do know there was an indigenous population, African population, and the Spanish were the white people that you know enslaved part of the Europeans that enslaved us and enslaved the Ind- Indians too, indigenous people of the Americas too, right? So the thing about it is, I'm gonna get to tell y'all a funny uh, anecdote. We were on the plane, right? We were on the plane and this sister from Brooklyn, this sister, this African sister looked at us, she was from Brooklyn, she said, looked at us with terror, with terror, she looked at us and said, are y'all sure y'all want to go down there? And this wasn't like, you know, like she was scared to like the Chavez thing, that was not in her mind. She, you know, was a stewardess and she'd been all the way around the world and what she had told us is like, yo, these people, these some of these Spanish people in here from Venezuela, like the like upper class ones, are some of the most racist, anti-black motherfuckers in the world. And we were on the plane with the opposition. And, and you can tell we were <laughs> on the plane with the opposition. I mean, they looked at us like, this is, where, where are your chains? You're supposed to be in Casa Grande, nigga. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you could feel the night. I felt like I was like, I felt like, I, I don't know how to say Toby in Spanish or some shit like that, but they was gonna know. name I me the Spanish like version of the TARDIS going back in time. I was using this fool talking about Doctor Who and shit, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And the sister said, Y'all be careful. She said, These people in here, they are dragons. They, they look at us like we ain't shit. She said, I'm gonna tell you, brother, you be you, you and this sister, y'all be careful down there. Say, I'm just saying. And I'm telling you, the anti-black racism, yo, you can kind of feel that shit, dog. You know what I'm saying? I'm not even trying to be... And it's different in Latin America, right? Because the white people confuse you up in the in the United States and tell you, you know, they, they call all of us a gringo. Just like we're all American now, right? I never got called gringo once. I'm going to tell you what they call you. They call you Negrito. And I wasn't surprised because I, you know, we had done the research. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people go, if you go someplace as a tourist, your ass gonna get treated like a motherfucking mm-hmm. tourist. Have some respect when your ass travel and learn about a place you go there besides being a damn tourist. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't surprised when everybody, you know, was, uh, hey, Negrito, hey, Negrito, and stuff like that. Also, it's pretty little, a little, little anti-black hostility from this one little dude, you know what I'm saying? I might have to, you know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna say nothing about that. But anyway, uh, that got handled, so we all good, you know. We don't we don't play that. But um, Zara, do you wanna add anything? Because I be talking too much. Like Big Cakes, I be thinking too much. You know what I'm talking about? Well, Shout out to Big Cakes, I'm sorry. I'm thinking too much, my head's hurting. I'm thinking too much, my head's hurting. Now you go blood, the feds lurking. keep the bread working. We had a guy, we went with a group, we had to tell the sister we're going with a group, so we went with a group. And we had a guide, and our guide, his name was Leo Lameda. And um, we got a chance to, you know, after all the hustle and bustle of the rigorous schedule and agenda that we had, we had a chance to interview him. And um, so we got a chance to interview him. And Leo, he's an interpreter, um, and he works mostly freelance, and he also works with um, a, a group called Global Exchange. Um, and he, you know, in the interview, we get into a lot of the history of Venezuela and all that good stuff. Yeah, Leo's like a really uh, fascinating person. Um, he had, uh, when, when he graduated from university, um, him, and a, him and some compañeros started a translators collective called Click. Yes, you're right. He did start Click. I forgot to mention that. Um, so, without further ado, this is C101's interview with Leo Lameda in Caracas, Venezuela. 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 Venezuela under 
Chavez. A lot of controversy where I'm from. Uh, not my origins, origins in Africa. Haha, <laughs> y'all always know I always pump that. But when I was born in the States, uh, he's the devil. He oppresses his own people. I walked around, I didn't see nobody get shot in the head or anything like that. So I didn't really see that oppression. I saw people like, you know, involved in commerce buying shit. You know, it was kind of like normal, as they would say. So Venezuela under Chavez. Um, can you tell us about that? And because the image in the media from just uh, parochial left is like Chavez has um, shown the people the way. They have not known any other way. And when he, you know, passed away, the people, I don't know, reverted to sucking their thumbs. I don't know what happened because you need a strong leader. And the right, they say Chavez is oppressing his people. But at the same time, when we said we want to make our sojourn into Venezuela, they will say that they hate Americans. And the irony of it is I've never been considered American when I was in America. But then I became an American when I went to travel abroad. I've always been that black guy. But... Can you explain Venezuela under Chavez and explain some of the nuances that some of us outside of the country might not be aware of? Yeah, well, you know, the interesting thing is uh, you always hear on, on media what the editors want you to hear. So, and that plays both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the first thing I would, I would like to state about Venezuela is Venezuela is not Cuba, for good and for bad. Like people say, oh yeah, Venezuela and Cuba, Yes, it is a sister nation. Yes, we share the language. Yes, we have a collaboration agreement. Mm -hmm. Like we have collaboration agreement with the United States mm -hmm. or exactly. any other country, you know. Um, but, you know, Venezuela has always been a capitalist country. Uh, consumerism is still big. Mm -hmm. We're trying to move towards socialism. But it's complicated because when it's in, in your culture, when it's in your mindset, then you consider this unfair that, you know, you take the capitalist mindset out, out of you before the other guy does. Like, mm -hmm. you're, okay, you want to share everything, your wealth, but, you know, you wait until the other guy starts. Exactly. <laughs> you don't you want to be the first one to move of on that course. shit. You're like, yeah, I share when you share. Yeah. yeah, I see you sharing, then I'll share. Okay? So... Uh, a little bit on Venezuela that you might not know. Like we, before being an oil country, we were an agricultural country. We export a lot of sugar cane, cocoa, rice, plantains. Uh, I'm gonna use a derogatory term. We That's were fine. we were a, a banana republic. Mm -hmm. You know, we just produce our fruit. We had the United Fruit Company from United oh, States importing United our. Fruit? Oh wow! Yeah, importing United Fruit Company. Yeah. Latin America. I never knew about them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they they were here and in Colombia and they're still in Costa Rica, in Costa Rica for example. Sure. But then we discovered what people call here first time they saw it coming out of the, the soil. They call it the devil's dirt. Mm -hmm. Something that smelled really bad mm -hmm. and it's called oil, mm. you know. And that was the beginning of the 20th century. So... Few people know that we were the first country in Latin America to pay our debt to the mm. to the foreign countries we had because of our civil war in the 19th century. So, beginning of the century, no debt, um, oil producing country, um, agriculture all right, very fertile soil. You might think you we are now like the owner of the whole continent but we are not <laughs> we are not and we are not because we have always depended on other people to um, grow technologically to grow um, economically like for example in the 70s I'm, I'm telling you a little bit of history in 1958 we had our first um, democratic republic. So our first democratic constitution, it comes from 1961. Very advanced constitution for the era, you know. There were uh, some human rights observed in our constitution, and that's a lot to say. Mm -hmm. That constitution had over 130 articles. If you compare it to other people's constitution, like United States, how many? Like 
15, <laughs> I don't know, and a couple of amendments, amendments. you know, si. um, it's very advanced, it's very detailed, um, but we were fooled politically mm-hmm. at the time, like, we got our freedom, we got our, our liberty, uh, no more dictatorship, but there were two parties that made us believe that we were having a choice. You know, it was Acción Democrática, which is Social Democrat. Democrats. And we had COPEI, which is Social Christians. Oh, yes. I know what that's like, the Republicans that Yeah, maybe it's familiar to you. I'm telling you, we were fooled for many years. Oh, Oh, yes. You know, our people were fooled you know, into believing that we had a choice, that there were two different parties that had two different goals, but actually they were pacted. They had a pact, they signed it and everything. And we found out four years later. So they never never informed you that they had signed this pact? They said they had some rules for, uh, what's the word they use, Mm, governability. But they never said there was actually a pact. So this pact between these two parties excluded the the Communist Party. Hmm. So the Communist Party never got anywhere because they were stealing the votes. Yes. So this is up to like 1958 up to 1999. Let's, I mean, that's a quick fast forward, right? But let's go a little further back in 1989. 1989, Presidente Carlos Andrés Pérez is re-elected. It's a funny thing, he is re-elected because he's a social democrat, so he's like on the center-left, yes, yes. and he run on this campaign of nationalization of everything, like everything should belong to Venezuela, so oh, the wow. wealth should be distributed among people, and he won. I mean, how can yeah, I put on here? I mean, that, that's, that's a winner a campaign. <laughs> as soon as he gets into power, he signs with the International Monetary Fund, so he gets yeah. so he gets more in debt. But there were conditions attached to it: mm-hmm. structural adjustments, all the subsidies, medicine, food, you know, education should be cut down okay. and start privatization process. See, see. 1989, that was like he got into power first week of February. February the 27th, mm-hmm. Monday, people couldn't afford to go to work. Imagine your bus fare, like increasing 150% overnight. So Shit. if you pay a dollar to go to work, then you have to pay 250. So mm-hmm. that's $5 a day because you have to run, go on. The and then let me take a wild guess. Your salary didn't go up as well? Nope. Oh, that's, that's kind of funny. I thought your salary might go up since everything else did catch up with inflation. Nope, Uh-oh. at all. That's how these dictatorship things work. I guess. So they had, a sun, on a Sunday, they had removed the subsidy on gasoline. You know? Mm. And they already had remove the subsidy on food. So we were paying, uh, our bread was increasing 50% every two days. Whoa. They wanted to kill us of, out of hunger. Yeah. People couldn't resist and we were, the, the Caracaso happened. Caracaso, you can translate into the Caracas explosion. The Caracas boom. That was what uh, uh, Oliver Stone started off his movie in uh, south of the bo- south of the border. That I, was, think I think I believe it was so. when it was in the streets and people were just up, yeah, doing, yeah, yeah. Okay. And people were, you know, they were not stealing, man. They were just taking what they what was they, theirs. theirs what you was know, theirs? all the work, everything belonged to them, and they weren't going to starve peacefully like they wanted them to. Yeah, yeah. and then. A lot of people say, oh yeah, the anti-globalization flags rise, uh, were frozen for the first time in Seattle, 1999. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were, that was important, but we started with no leadership, with no politicians saying we should. 
actually with every politician saying we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. We started it. We rioted and looted for two days. Then the government responded as any you know sensible government would do. They sent the military. Over 700 people got, got killed in less than five days. That was like some government, a proper, oh, proper government response, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they have to keep the, what is the word, governability? Yeah. Yes. I mean, so... Well, we say, in the States, they say law and order. Mm -hmm. You have uh -huh. to keep law and order. Mm -hmm. Okay. Of course. There you go. Okay. There were public disorder. There you go. So you have to avoid the public disorder. Right. See. Because so, public disorder is not good. It's not good. So... When when that happened, man, a lot of people were upset. Upset. They decided to take our constitutional rights. There were there was no rule of law for over a month. There were curfews. Uh, people couldn't go to the streets. Not even kids after six p.m. People could not be seen on the streets in groups of over three people. Mm. And I'm talking on a sister nation on the same continent that the United States is in 1989 when communications were stable enough to learn about it. Mm -hmm. You didn't hear about it, but you heard about China and the Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square. Square. That was all over the we, news. And it was really bad because, you know, people got killed and everything, mm -hmm. but they were, you know, these communists. Mm -hmm. in, instead of this guy, he was very friendly to, to his... Uh, Friend, President uh, George Senior, George Bush Senior. Yep. So um, he had a very rough start. You know, he started his government with this like social explosion, military on the streets, no food in the country because everything was looted. Then we move a little bit further, and February the fourth, nineteen ninety-two, there's a coup d'état. A group of military men decided to oust this man that was trying to starve us to death. Mm -hmm. They failed. I mean, long story short, they were supposed to take the palace, but our tanks were in such poor conditions that they couldn't go through a wooden door, mm -hmm. so they couldn't take the palace. President Perez managed to escape. Uh -huh. Boom. Uh, he gets caught. This guy asked for one minute on TV to tell his comrades to put down the guns because, you know, otherwise they would go on and on. And, you know, he wanted to uh, spare us a, a bloodshed, yeah. right? So this guy, uh, whose name is Hugo, <laughs> might have heard of him, huh? and his last name is Chavez, <laughs> comes into the political arena in the wrong way, you know, like a coup d'etat, like. Yeah. That's very, that's very difficult, you, you, you recover from that. But then, magic happens. He has 38 seconds of TV exposure in which he asks uh, his fellow military men to you know, put down the guns, and he said, the objectives for now cannot be met. Mm. Uh, let's wait until we have better conditions, yeah, and you know. Mm -hmm. That was it. That for now became a symbol. That for now became, became hope. That for now you started seeing everywhere, like people would graffiti the, the, the walls, even the palace, mm -hmm. and it said, for now. You like know. V for Vendetta, I heard you. Uh -huh. It was like the V for Vendetta for the movie. Mm -hmm. Imagine mm -hmm. for now instead of the V. Right. <laughs> so he also took full responsibility. He said, it's all my fault. I take full responsibility. Is, is he, was he really a politician? Because politicians don't take full responsibility. Who was this guy? And this guy, is, that's the point. Like, you are seeing a guy on TV saying, yeah, it's my fault. I take the blame. Right. Well, the, we what, have never that? seen that from politicians before. So people actually like the guy. Like, you know, you have uh, Halloween, right? See. You know, where little kids, See. There's you some know, candy teeth all the and they, yeah, yeah they, they have to, they, they choose the hero they want to be, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Superman, whatever. Mm -hmm. People during those years, they disguised as Chavez, Mi little military men, <laughs> you know, with red berets. <laughs> That's that's different. Like there was no popular condemnation of what he did. Actually people thought he was right. Yeah.
América Latina, a la América de Simón Bolívar, carajo. Váyanse al carajo, yanquis de mierda, que aquí hay un pueblo digno. This is not a plea for you and me to all get along. Sing songs, live happily ever after like we can fall. All is occupied Wall Street. Ain't existed till disaster hit Charles Street. When the unemployment rate among Africans acting like Americans had to be high enough to make the homicide rate jump among us 100%. But y'all was saying what? Nothing fucking wrong with your government. And us niggas just lazy than a zombie. bitch. Now the same shit happening to Lily White America. So now it's just cause for hysteria. Illegitimate cause for the bankers to all fall. But it was all good when it only affected the hood. I wish a nigga would. You know what? You should thank ya. You should thank ya. Robbers and barons and bankers. Politicians, bootleggers and gangsters. Should it be the full acts of genocide? For all the murder they committed. This shit the greatest country on earth. To make this country what it is. Created the land of the free. That's what created this. Created the home of the brave. And now. That patriotic fever, it make you never mind free zones and sweatshops so you can rock God sneakers. While your world leaders redefine genocide is fighting for your freedoms. It's deceiving, but your cops must believe them just to justify the reasons they behaving like demons in the world arena. Just to live in my iPhone 5 on time, never mind black lives being mangled for your opulence. Mass murder and oppression on the continent because you worship the concessions that result from it. I'm just talking shit, don't trip off the Yourself. Now distribute all your wealth amongst the poor and needy Here's an AK-47 aiming at the greedy Master, we redefine how you pay for your Robbers and barons and bankers Politicians, bootleggers and gangsters Should it be the full acts of genocide This shit the greatest country on earth Created the land of the free Created the home of the brave just listening to wise intelligence robbers barons and bankers and did you notice at the top of that song that the intro to that song was none other than hugo chavez that's right and uh we really like that track it was appropriate for what leo was talking about it's appropriate for the people of venezuela all the way to the people that find themselves inside the empire. Zara, won't you explain the significance of that song, Chavez, what Leo was talking about? Break that down because some people just want their iPhone 5 and don't care about, you know, the, the, the pillage of imperialism and stuff like that. And they want to give charity and we want to help Africa. Never mind they got Africans sitting up. They give, go past the hood with Africans in it that's called a hood because they want to depoliticize and don't say it's an internal colony and then they go to give charity they go to give charity so go ahead and bring break that down okay so the why the intelligence song is talking about that self-indulgent attitude 
of how white people try to make their problems primary. And whenever, you know, we have a situation where we bring up the contradictions in the African community and other people in the world bring up their contradictions, then it's like something that they can ignore. It's something that doesn't matter to them. And so we thought that that song was relevant because that is essentially what an example, Venezuela is an example mm-hmm. of that that attitude, you know, just living my iPhone five, 5 on time. You know, don't nobody care otherwise. I just want my new phone. And who cares about the social relations behind that in the rest of the world? And that was essential to the founding of this country. Yeah, I mean, when you really think about Chavez, you know, Chavez is interred in, you know, you heard Leo talk about the 4th of February, right? Chavez is interned, his body is interned in what's called the 4th of February Memorial, and we had the opportunity to go there. If you go to our Instagram page, at C101Editors, you can see that we were there and check out some other stuff, you know, plug in our Instagram page. And the thing about it is, is like, one of the things we saw there is like, Chavez, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying the Chavez the Magnificent, Chavez the Great, Chavez the, the Anointed One. We ain't talking all that shit they were saying about Barack Obama. This is a democratic society, but they don't know even nobody know what neoliberalism is and shit. I go to a man on the corner or a sister on the corner of Venezuela. They know what neoliberalism is. Yes, they do. They ain't got no. <laughs> they know what a structural adjustment is. I went up and asked somebody what a structural adjustment is. They say somebody gonna take out my weave. I was like, oh, sister, please come on now. But now my point is this, Zara. You remember when we was at the Fourth of February Memorial? Yes. We was there and we saw the real. We you could. Feel the people. They that that wasn't a dear leader. They were like, oh my god, we've lost our dear leader. That was a compañero. Yeah, they lost a comrade. They lost a comrade mm-hmm. in the struggle against imperialism because Chavez represents when our wise intelligent was talking about, you know, uh, us niggas just lazy in the summer, bitch. When we getting killed. And they didn't want to talk about nothing. They were getting killed. And you see Occupy Wall Street. We see the fact that our ability to go on vacation and have an iPhone 5 is being jeopardized by bankers. I'm falling out of the middle. I'm falling we out of the middle class. We're falling out of the middle class. Oh, poor you, baby. Yeah, we right? crying. We crying for you. And the thing about it is Chavez represents in Venezuela those people in society that are at the bottom. Yep. Los Negros, Africanos. And the Indians, all oppressed people, but those are at the bottom and all settler colonial societies of the Americas. And he represented that. That's why the opposition, whenever they you look at their media, they always referring to Chavez as a dirty monkey. Mm-hmm. Now you Africans, you know what that shit means. Bananas in his hands. Mm-hmm. You know? So the point is, wise intelligent in the brilliance of putting that song together, Chavez. The reason Chavez has such a problem, and we can get into some contradictions of the of, of like the calling it the Bolivarian government, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to naming it after an African or an indigenous person. But the thing about Chavez is seen, is seen as somebody who comes out of the lowest rings of Venezuelan society. He is not a. Uh, uh, Connected to the elite, and he didn't try to present himself that way. That's why when you know Leo des- describing that shit, people were starving. What is the first thing he said? They put a curfew on him. Surprise, surprise! Look at Ferguson, Missouri. Was it? Fer- it's Ferguson, Ferguson Missouri, Missouri, right? Yeah. Where they shot that African. Yep, they shot that African child. Yep. First thing they did, uh, put a. They want to put a curfew on. And they put it in the African community because they did not make these white folk go inside. Exactly. So you you see how you see how these regimes that are supported by the U.S. when they want to starve people out, when they want a quote-unquote peace. When they talking about peace, they talking about peace on the plantation. Mm-hmm. When you hear a self-serving uh, anti-war movement say, we just want peace. What they mean is they want their Christmas trees to come again. <laughs> they want niggas to starve in the hood. <laughs> That's their fault. They're That's lazy. That's their fault. They're lazy. They're not like the Africans in I Africa. I know we who's stole starving. everything from them, and you know we borrowed them from everything. But you know you need to pull yourself up. And and the thing about it is, Chavez is seen as that person that you know in terms of the people of Venezuela are seen as 
are seen as subjects of history as opposed to being relegated to objects of history for people to misuse them. And that's the problem. And that's the thing people don't really realize. When uh, Kwame Ture said, we want black power, right? People say, oh, you want black power? That means you want to kill white people. Now, you see that? When we said, the problem is African people and, and other people uh, in uh, uh, formerly in underdeveloped parts of the world when they say they want power they want self-determination the first prior thing the empire says is you want to kill white people or you know you hate Americans because mm-hmm. all they know is destruction yeah, they, well, they can't understand no other ways yeah. alright Zari's looking at me she's saying skim in it still keeping it moving she's saying James keep it moving so without further ado we're going to get back into our interview with Leo Lameda oh yeah I forgot to mention Leo Lameda also helped uh, with that book Venezuela Speaks they give him a shout out in the book from PM Press that we read so sorry I just want to add that I'm out back to the interview some institutionalization of the revolution Mm-hmm. AKA reformism mm-hmm. along with bureaucracy started damaging you know the Chavista process mm-hmm. um, you know uh, housing mission started a couple of years ago a lot of houses have been built ever since but before that no houses were built uh, effectively like money were, were lost like they started a project never finished so that is a big problem. It's still a big problem. Corruption is a big problem in the country. Uh, these changes that happen and people trying to defend it, not only materialistically, because you know I have something I can feel, I can see that I did, never had before. I don't, I don't want to let it go. But also ideologically, we never had the right to be educated even though it was in our constitution, and now we do have the right to be educated. Uh, so how the people were like really willing to give their lives, you know, mm-hmm. for a process like this. Mm-hmm. Chavez gets sick. This is 2009 when he yeah. first announced it. One thing I'm going to point out is that one of the flaws, the biggest flaws that this constitution has is communication. They said it was something on a knee, but there wasn't. It was something in his abdominal area. Mm-hmm. And that's all we got. Like, nowadays, he's dead, and I, all I can tell you is that he, he died of a cancer on an abdominal area. Right. I don't know where. I don't know how big, how bad uh, it was. I mean, I know everything about uh, Kirchner cancer in Argentina, and he's from another country. I know everything about Lula's cancer, and he's from another country. You know, I even learned about the queen. Uh, She had like, uh, it was not a cancer, but an illness. And she went on surgery, Queen of England, and I know about it. Mm-hmm. So they weren't very effective at, at communicating. One of the things you keep hearing at this point, from, two, from 2000 up to 2013 when he dies, is that people say, well, this process is, is happening. It's happening now because of us, and us with Chavez, and Chavez with us. They say Chavez, they saw Chavez not as a leader, but as a peer that happened to be in a power position, right. happened to give some, some advantage to the disadvantages. Uh, so all these cooperatives, all these things happened before Chavez now had a place to be. We have a lot of pirate radio stations and pirate TV stations that were now converted into community media mm-hmm. by law. So it, this is a guy that is providing with a legal framework for popular things that already existed. So it's not that he got there and he said, oh, well, today I'm going to instruct with my infinite <laughs> wisdom on community media to the people. And now we have community media. Let it be done. Yeah, it's not like that. It's like there were guerrilla radios, guerrilla TV stations, and you know apartments, and now they have the permits. Mm-hmm. See, <laughs> uh, so this is 
an important thing because Chavez is portrayed either, either as a dictator or as a very wise, unique leader that would let the people to do stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, without the people, Chavez would not gotten anywhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a point I want to make. So people kept saying, you know, we are a team. Chavez and I, we are a team. Mm -hmm. He is my peer. The problem is the people surrounding him. And now there is the people surrounding him in power. Oh. So see, it's a very delicate situation. Because yeah, the guy who gets into power now, in Nicolás Maduro, won by a very, very tiny difference. For the first time in history, Chavismo is losing grip on the elections. So um, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I mean, I'm just saying that there was a change. There was a lot of faith put in this man, mm -hmm. and this man is only human. Mm -hmm. He died. Uh, his legacy, I think, is still alive. Still alive in many ways, into cooperatives. He's still alive into people graduating from the mission. He's still alive in, um, you know, community councils, people getting together and bypassing bureaucracy and getting the funds directly from the oil money to fix their own neighborhood mm -hmm. without, you know, asking and requesting and requesting and requesting without answer. So that is the legacy, the real legacy. Mm -hmm. Let me go ahead and ask you a question now. Uh, to those, everybody listening, uh, this interview is being conducted after we've been on a rigorous to say the least <laughs> 10 day in-depth reality excursion I don't want to say excursion but just in-depth reality on the ground grassroots of the entire country except for maybe the western part we didn't go to Zulia State which you said is kind of like my home state of Texas where they want us to see mm -hmm. we got the oil baby yeah that's Zulia State <laughs> okay so uh, <laughs> so one of the things that was brought to my attention and I'm glad you said the people you that hold the feeling of the people is saying that Chavez is our peer because in the book Venezuela Speaks which they actually give a shout out to Leo in the book oh my god I meet him is this like destiny I think so anyway um, the thing about it is one of the things people talk about that, that whole point of like he's our peer so when, when you read that book it's even different from people who report on like I'd say from left wing in the in the states, mm -hmm. saying that it's like like you said, Chavez says, "I will instruct the people." Yeah. Oh, we love you. Like, no, the, the whole the whole vibe of the book is like, yeah, Chavez. Some people around him messing up, man. But we gonna hold him accountable. You know what I'm saying? Because we don't play that shit. That's pretty much the whole vibe of the people. The people don't play. Mm -hmm. Now, when we you you done took us from far and wide into Caracas. We done been dancing salsa in Caracas. We went to the beach in Caracas. We went all over. And we went to the countryside. One of the two things that is stri really striking for somebody such as myself who does come from the United States mm -hmm. is that. With all the oil money, everything here, and one of the things you still see, you still see the poverty. Mm -hmm. Even with shoppers, you still see the poverty. And you also see some of the um, inconsistencies of how some of the uh, Mercal food or missions are, are, are applied. What I want to ask you is like, well, we know that it's a process, and I always want to keep that in mind when we were touring around, it's a process. This has been going on for. <laughs> like almost a century, so it's not gonna change like overnight, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about it is, do you feel, what is in general are the people, and one of the main issues, I'm sorry I forgot to mention, is food insecurity. Mm -hmm. Food insecurity is a big issue. This is an oil producing country and they're importing food, but this is, has a tropical climate you can get. I mean, I was walking around and saw mangoes on the ground, I ain't never seen no mango like that in my life, mm, some juicy mangoes. Mm -hmm. So, my, so my, 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 I guess my, my real point is, with everything that the Chavez government, you know, under Chavez is trying to loosen up those bureaucratic ties has done, how now that Chavez is gone, what is the vibe, what is the general feel of the people, what, are the, what do you feel that people need to do to, to, one, eradicate this food insecurity, you still got the U.S., the empire looking down on y'all, mm -hmm. right? Also, I mean... 
this the the the, the how much of it do you think do the people know that it might have been the people around him have now taken control and it could possibly revert back to something which you were talking about earlier as a pact mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying an unwritten pact do you feel the people are suspicious of a Maduro might sign a pact or go ahead yeah. Maduro is the president that is elected uh, one of the first thing he, things he does he start meetings with the business people again um, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's bad, totally bad, <laughs> uh, because you know Chavez not willing to talk to them caused a lot of unnecessary friction. You know, with the with the business people. Um, we, uh, I heard from one of the speakers in our in our experience, Didi. She said, "Well, oil is both." A gift, a, 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 a gift and a curse, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it, it, it is actually like we were unable to keep the other parts of the economy running because we have oil. Mm-hmm. We suffered something between the '60s up to the, the the late '90s called the Campesino Exodus. So all the Campesino people, the people working the land, the people growing the food that I eat, that you eat, ate they actually move to the cities to live in slum conditions because the cities have better opportunity to succeed. That was the lie. It's like the American dream <laughs> sold in a very, very small, tiny uh, environment, right? Mm-hmm. So you ended up with a formal city along with an informal city right into it, like informal housing, you know, you see the shanty towns in the mm-hmm. middle of two mm-hmm. nice apartment buildings and stuff. So what happened with that is that we suddenly started from exporting food up to being, you know, barely sustainable on our own needs and then not being able to feed ourselves. So El Pabellón Criollo is a very tasty dish that you tried. It's rice black beans, plantains, and shredded beef. That's our national dish. That's our pride. Mm -hmm. The beef is from Argentina. The rice is from United States. Mm. The plantains is from here. And the black beans are from Colombia. So we, I mean, at the moment, the big business or other countries want, we can run out of food. Food security is an issue and it's big. It is. Um, They cannot, I mean, and it's an issue that is not new. It has been there for years, but nothing effective has been done to revert it. We have invested in training uh, for the campesino people, loans, uh, machinery provided by the government. Nothing of that seemed to happen, seemed to work. Um, What I think we should do is to start creating cities down south because everybody moved to the northern axis of the country looking for a better future. They left behind very fertile land down south. So if you ask me what the solution might be, maybe a logical solution should be to create cities with infrastructure, schools, bakeries, uh, hospitals and everything, and not like isolated villages down south, along, you know, with big lands to be, you know, uh, exploited. Mm-hmm. And then start growing stuff, mm-hmm. you know. We at least need our corn. Yeah. At least, you know, <laughs> because everything here is made out of corn. <laughs> Once we start with one staple, we can move to the other. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they are trying to look for fast solutions, so they are turning to Monsanto, they are turning to Cargill, you know, mm. to give like this fast-growing food yeah. that is actually poison food, that is actually, you know, weird food, like mm. food that is not natural. Yeah. And that is a fast solution. In biology, uh, there is a sustainable solution that takes long time or a fast, unsustainable solution that is very quick but it's going to generate other problems. Yeah, They're taking right. the shortcut. Mm-hmm. So. so, I have two uh, questions. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so with every, I, what I wonder is with everything tied to, oh yeah, with everything tied to the oil money, is there a concern that say like something happens with the Maduro government, you know, or like there's a perfect opportunity for the opposition to like make a move. You know what I mean? Or some, it's a perfect opportunity for the U.S. to make a move. I don't know what it would be, but, you know, there's like a space. And then oil production is stopped or something happens to where, and then everything is dependent on that money. So it'll affect and have like a ripple effect to everything that's tied to it. Is that like a major concern for most people? Have they thought about what might happen and how it might be remedied? And, Okay, I want to give you the non-official response. Okay, Sorry. that's the one we like. All right, everybody, we're going to have to leave it there for now. Um, I did want to add that when we left Venezuela, we we could feel that something was going to be changing there. Um, based on our research, like we said, we, you know, we read all those books and our on-the-ground experiences. It was palpable that there were going to be some significant changes in Venezuela after Chavez died um, and, and when we left. Um, and whether or not those changes are going to be revolutionary changes or whether or not they were going to be co-opted by the opposition was not clear. But we see the situation that Venezuela is in now and it's just evidence that things are always changing. And because they do have you know, so many people who are politically aware and the people are, you know, are struggling constantly, then, you know, we'll be seeing more and it just remains to be determined what, what direction that Venezuela goes in. So we know you want to hear Leo's answer to that question. So to hear the full interview, all you have to do is go to conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com and subscribe today and you will have access to the rest of this interview and all of C101's interviews. So go to the site, look at the subscription benefits page for the full details and recognize that you will be supporting 100% independent media. This episode has featured sounds from Caxton Press. The song is This Ain't Living from the This Ain't Living Hunger single and Caxton Press. I want to see instrumental from the album Shame the Devil. We also played a song from Wise Intelligence called Robbers, Barons, and Bankers from his album El Negro Ghetto. And from Big Cakes, Thinking Too Much, Thinking from his album Omnium Gatherum, the assorted collection. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conscien1, that's C O N. S-C-I-E-N, the number one, on Facebook at Conscientization 101 and Instagram at C101 Editors. And you will hear from us next time. Because the capitalist system has cut off our history, they think that we have no history. They really think that our history began in slavery. If you will look at all textbooks in this country, even on the college level, history textbooks, there's nothing said about Africa in these textbooks at all. I mean, Africa is just left out. Like it doesn't exist at all. Just like our history. That's most Africans who do not take time as a conscious people to come to understand their history, in fact, begin their history when the white man came and discovered us as slaves. Certainly, the indigenous people of this country think that their history began with Columbus, they would be in serious trouble. They, who probably know their history, know that the indigenous people of this country raised civilizations, the heights of which European powers have not yet arrived at. Consequently, these people have this to hold on to, and they know as long as they hold on to it and fight, they will come back to the grandeur that was once theirs. No people can begin their history in slavery. No people. God has never created anybody in slavery. All people are first created free, then they are enslaved. So does any African beginning their history in the United States of America is a stupid African beginning their history in slavery. And if you begin your history in slavery, the best you can hope to be is a good slave. Indeed, 
If you begin your origins in slavery, where's the inspiration to fight? A people who were enslaved must know at one time they were free. It is only when they know at one time they were free that they will be motivated by the responsibility which history imposes upon them to struggle to be free again. Any African wanting to know about their history and using their history as a weapon to fight must begin their history in Africa. There's no other place. It was only in Africa that we were free. Thus it is in Africa that we must begin our history. Once we see in Africa how we were free, then we will come to see who imposed slavery upon us. We will come to know directly who is the enemy, what must be done to return to a stage of freedom again. Thus in the struggle for liberation, Africa is indispensable to us as our historical weapon.